Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. Hamilton here. This is the VR download. We are broadcasting from a pair of quests on a couple different continents here. I'm your host today, Ian Hamilton. And I'm joined by David Heaney, and I was at CES 2022 trying out the latest VR and AR technology. And I'm very excited to take your questions about it and talk about the stuff I tried. Yeah, Heaney, I'm a little jealous and I'm a little not jealous of your trip to Vegas. I've been to CES a couple times and it's it is hectic. I, I didn't we didn't really with all the things changing and all the plans, we didn't really get you prepared and like you you dropped into Las Vegas. Tell us what it's like to visit America and Las Vegas for the first time. It was certainly a culture shock. And you know, like I said, you, I was really surprised by just how spaced out everything is. I, I was thinking I would go to one kind of conference center and everything would be there. But no, there's the, the different demos are all over different parts of town. You have to get from A to B. And sometimes you might have one demo that's in one place and then another demo that's in the total other side. And you've got to coordinate that, which availability they have, which is, yeah, it was an experience for sure. <laughs> All right, so Heaney, I got. Let me just start off. What was your most impressive demo? So ponder that for a second. For those who are new to us, we can see your comments here in virtual reality. People ask us what the studio is every week. So just to recap, this is a custom-built studio built by Heaney over here. We're using Quest hand tracking right now to track our finger movements, and we're using the older version of the Oculus avatars. Heaney is going to look into those meta avatars as soon as we get through all the CES content and see if we can get those into the studio. But we're actually able to see our comments. We have some questions. We can read them off and bring them up in the chat. And uh, yeah, we're going to cover what was the, the, the demos Heaney tried at CES. And no hard qu no you know question is too difficult. I'm ready to, to give you all the hard questions, Heaney. So let's start off, Heaney. What was the most impressive thing you saw out there? So I would say for sure it was the X-Tile headset, X-Tile 3. And if you haven't read my impression of that on the website, I, I would recommend you do so. Because what they've managed to achieve there is to finally get a very wide field of view, but without distortion. And we've seen very wide field of view in headsets like the Pimax series and in other versions of X-Tile in the past. But what we just haven't seen yet is this almost breathtaking experience of not only seeing peripheral vision, but not having it look like you're looking into a fishbowl or some sort of ski goggles. And some people have been very kind of forgiving of that kind of distortion in the past. And some people claim they even don't notice it or don't see it. How that's possible, I don't know. But I've always been able to see that. And having a stable kind of visual image in VR has always been one of the key elements for me to be immersed. And so getting into a headset where... I had that peripheral vision, but without the distortion, truly blew me away. And I, I have to say, it's the best VR headset I've ever used. Now, you are a flight sim fan, right? So, did that have any kind of effect on your impressions here? What head? Who is going to buy this? So, to be clear, this for now is a ten thousand dollar headset that is designed for professional flight simulation and applications like that. The people that are using this are organizations and entities that are training pilots to use real aircraft and they need it to be as realistic as possible because the more different the simulator is from the real world the more real world training they have to do which costs a lot more money so i tried this in dcs which is a, a popular flight simulator game that people play it's you can get it on steam there wasn't any kind of special integration done here although they do have foveated rendering support in 
Lockheed Martin's Prepare 3D, which is their version of Flight Simulator X. So I was just trying this uh, in a normal flight experience. What you notice is that you no longer have to move your head as much as you do in normal flight sims in VR, where, yes, obviously there are times when even with a full field of view, you'd want to look behind you. But with this, I was able to focus on the instruments and focus on flying while I still had that peripheral awareness of where I was. But what's interesting about this lens is that the founder of uh, VR Engineers, the company behind this, tells me that it's not actually fundamentally expensive and that he's talking to consumer electronics companies, including Razer, about the possibility of a prosumer model further down the line. So it's not going to be something that's a couple of hundred dollars like Quest, but it's also not going to be $10,000. And so if they can make that happen, if that can actually become real, we could see a headset that comes up at the very highest end of the consumer market and gives VR enthusiasts who have been longing for years and years for this expansive wide field of view what they've been looking for. Yeah. Hi, Andrew. Hi, Onakazi, Roblox, everyone else tuning in. Thank you so much for tuning in with us today. Hini, when do you think we're going to see wide field of view actually make it into even the high end there? Because for the last five years, it's been all these trade-offs that the companies have, companies, let's just say Facebook Meta has released all these new headsets and they've chosen not to expand field of view. And even Valve Index, they expanded the field of view there a little bit. If you tune the optics just right, you get a slightly wider field of view out of the Valve Index optics. But if you're wearing glasses or you've got the optics tuned, you're not really even going to notice necessarily a, a wider field of view. And then over with Meta, like they've tried to expand, they tried to go standalone. And that means we can't really draw more power out of the headset. That's not the thing that they're choosing to uh, accentuate right now. And they've kept with the standardized, what, 100 to 110 degree field of view. So what's it going to take for us to actually see this make that jump? Yeah, I think when you look at consumer standalone headsets like the Quest 2 and even Cambria, we're unlikely to see a massive jump in field of view, not just because they want to keep the form factor more compact, never mind getting larger like you can see here, but because on a standalone headset, computing power is obviously the primary limitation. And as you increase the field of view, a lot of people kind of don't think about this, but as you increase the field of view, that means you have to render more and more of the environment. So imagine you're standing in a large open world and you have a hypothetical standalone headset that has a 180 degree field of view. That means you essentially have to render half of the world at once instead of just the area where you're directly looking at. So if you look at Cambria, we don't know its field of view so far, but just looking at its optical design and knowing that it use, uses pancake lenses, it's actually likely to be either less a less wide field of view than Quest 2 or something that's just close or maybe just equivalent. There's no indication we have that Cambria will actually expand the field of view. Just to oh. answer the question here in the comments, the field of view of this XTAL 3 headset I was trying is 170 degrees horizontal, which is you know significantly wider than what you would find in normal consumer headsets. And, and to that point, Meta is on the record. Andrew Bosworth over there at Meta is on the record with comments publicly saying that he thinks vertical field of view lengthening it vertically, which would allow you to maybe see more of a human body, like an avatar could move closer to you and you could see more of their body addressing you. You could see maybe the whole upper body and they could be closer to you and they could just 
gesture and all those things. But Meta is on the record think, saying that they may focus on vertical field of view before they go to horizontal, right? Yeah, that was a really interesting comment from Bosworth. And it, it does make sense in the standalone sphere because you're not really rendering significantly more of the world if you're going higher. And in a room scale sense, the being able to see the floor and ceiling more often is going to make you feel more connected to the environment. But when it comes to these seated experiences like flight simulators and racing simulators, it really is that horizontal field of view that matters much more. But to, to go back to answer your question of when will we see this in the PC market, which is where I think we're going to see wide field of view come first. And we already have with Pimax, except for its distortion issues. It really does come down to can lenses like this be delivered at an affordable cost. And I, I was very surprised to hear the founder suggest that actually now the limitation to the cost of this lens, which is a single element lens, which is also very surprising, is just the, the volume and the, the market that they're currently targeting. So could it be, will it be specifically Xtile that brings this kind of wide field of view without distortion to the PC VR market? Who knows? But it looks like it'll have to be either them or someone else who makes this kind of breakthrough. And I, I think we should point out that Pimax claim that for their upcoming Reality 12K headset, which is planned for launch later this year, or is it pre-orders in summer, they claim that they've also made that same breakthrough. They claim that they have gotten to a lens which has wide field of view without distortion. So interestingly, Pimax is claiming they're using a multi-element lens where the center and the peripheral are actually different types of lens technology. What's really impressive about Xtal here is that all of their technology is in-house, including their own lens design, and they've been at this game for years. And they, it, being able to use that lens and seeing that that's a single element, that's that has a very positive outlook on whether we're going to see that come to the consumer market. People are talking about foveated rendering out there. Did you see any eye tracking out there in Vegas? Or, or yeah, how did that go? So this headset, Xtile, does have foveated rendering and eye tracking. But the, the problem with foveated rendering at the moment on the PC market is that there's no kind of standardized support for it. Even if you have a headset, like when I was over visiting Jamie and Xena, I tried Vario Aero, which has eye tracking for foveated rendering. If you just play a Steam VR game, you don't have that foveated rendering because the developer hasn't actually taken the time to, put, to integrate the separate SDKs that are required. Right now, a lot of it, a lot of these headsets use Tobi's eye tracking, so that requires Tobi's SDK, but Xtile uses their own in-house eye tracking, so it's in another SDK entirely. And I believe HP and HTC also have their own kind of SDK. So what we need is either support directly in Steam VR for foveated rendering or an open VR extension that all of the players start to use. Mm. And but I guess it's a chicken and egg problem where we're going to need to see affordable hardware on the PC VR market that supports foveated rendering before that kind of SDK comes along. Or we're mm -hmm. just going to need to see one of the players really start to push it. Yeah, it's one of those areas of the VR market that is, is really going to be the cutting edge for maybe the next two years to see what happens with eye tracking, foveated rendering, and eye tracked avatars. I think that's how those features get integrated at the platform level. So right now, Heaney has like a simulated eye tracking system in here where our eyes aren't actually tracked by these headsets. But if I look over to him, the, the eyes will automatically dart over there. But what if I was actually turning my head here and my eyes were pointed over there at the screen? The, the headset may not know that. And the, the 
AI or the, the system is filling in those gaps for us. But what we could really have happened, because foveated rendering is such a hard problem to solve, we could see social spaces or social avatars using the eye tracking to improve that targeting thing while they work out all of the things to make the foveated rendering actually work at scale. And of course, how both of those features get integrated at the platform level is going to dictate whether this gets integrated across all headsets in the next couple of years. Yeah, I think the fact that we have PlayStation VR 2 confirmed to have eye tracking and we have Meta's Project Cambria confirmed to have eye tracking means that we're on the cusp of a large number of developers having this hardware in their hands. And that's really when we're going to start to see support for it. And if we have developers building these kind of large PlayStation 5 VR games that have eye tracking as an assumption, then hopefully that starts to filter down into the PC market. And then obviously we're likely to see Meta push eye tracking as part of their SDK in Cambria, as we've seen them push all of their features to developers. Because on the standalone platform, they have the ability to push it a little bit more consistently than on the kind of more fragmented PC space. Yeah, so there's a question here that's really great. And then there's another question. Andrew is asking you, Heaney, whether you experienced any inertial shift when rotating your head in the big XTAL headset. D- define inertial shift. Yeah, explain that a little bit more. And then... What sense? The, the other question that I think is interesting here, where the person is bringing up, what are the benefits? What are the performance benefits of foveated rendering? And the first things we've heard out of like people like John Carmack is the benefits so far have actually not bared out as much promise as they hoped out of foveated rendering. And that's where I'm getting at where I, I think... I would really imagine the eye tracking in PSVR, since that's like the next example, to be used for those social avatars or for targeting objects first, and then roll out uh, the, the foveated rendering over time once the software really improves and they're able to see those performance benefits that Nye is asking about. So I think what's important to note is that foveated rendering isn't this thing that's either on or off. It's not binary. The higher the quality, the eye tracking of the hardware, the greater the performance benefit you can get from foveated rendering. Because you have to have this assumption of how good the eye tracking is. Otherwise, you're going to notice the resolution dynamically change as you look around the environment. And obviously, we, we haven't heard specific details from Sony yet about whether this can be used for foveated rendering. I'm optimistic about that, and I think we'll be pleasantly surprised just because Sony has such expertise in developing very small sensors. Most people don't realize, but the smartphone you have in your hand or in your pocket probably has a Sony sensor somewhere in it. The fact that Sony is very experienced in these core technologies and the fact that they're shipping this headset late this year, I think we're likely to see foveated rendering appear in PSVR. Though again, it is just this aspect of it's not going to be a miracle changer this early. We'll, wait, we'll need to wait for future eye tracking technology that you know runs at a much faster rate and can track your eye with much greater precision to see the kind of miracle gains that people are hoping for is, is the point I think John Carmack was trying to make. Mm-hmm. Hi, Greg. Thank you for tuning in. And Andrew has clarified here that basically did the HMD shift on your face as you rotated it? Did it get out of position? No, and, and just to... No, note about comfort in general. I was I was very surprised about Xtile's comfort. You look at a headset like that and you think 
that looks incredibly uncomfortable. But because of the the balancing of the head strap and the fact that it actually is a lot lighter than it looks, the materials that they're using there are, are, are lightweight compared to what you'd see in, in a consumer headset. It I didn't see feel any shifting. The only headsets I really feel shifting in are Halo strap designs like the Rift S and PlayStation VR. When it comes to Ectile, when it comes to even the Quest 2 with the Elite strap, I don't really feel inertial shifting personally. But again, those things are going to depend on the shape of your head. All right. Are you, anything else on Ectile or do we want to move on to the next subject? I guess I would just point out the fact that they it's incredibly interesting to me that all of their tech is in-house, even their own inside-out tracking. And I think Xtile's probably got the, the highest ratio of really delivering technology to marketing of any of the companies in the VR space. They should probably work on their marketing because the technology they have is, is very impressive. And I think they're, they're being definitely underlooked for now. Mm. Greg's VR, I'm just reading your comment here saying, eye tracking may have two separate distinct use cases initially, foveated running for performance and game mechanic uses for things like eye contact with NPCs. Yeah, I think that's definitely true, and we'll see that in PlayStation VR and Cambria. The, even if the, the foveated rendering doesn't bring the kind of gains that people are hoping for, there are still so many applications. And even when it comes to user interface, if you're using hand tracking, for example, and you point at an element and you're trying to pinch at it, on Quest 2, there's no way for the system to know what are you really looking for. But if, if the system knows that your eye tracking is pointed at a specific button that you've been pinching, then it can disambiguate that kind of problem. And I think this kind of sensor fusion between your controller and maybe even your voice input and your eye tracking means that it can recognize your intent more than if it just has one of these input. And obviously, yeah, the, the implications for social VR are great because you can make eye contact and for NPCs because they can then react to whether you're looking at them or just looking at something in their environment. Hello again, Ian. Hello. It took me a a uh, little bit to get back in there. I'm on, on my controllers now. Let's see what happens. I, want, I was tempted to throw these away, but I, I'm worried I'll break them. Don't throw your $59 controller. Are they 59 I think they're more than 59 Well, the, these might be the controllers that have the secret message from Facebook inside of them. There might be a space for rent written on side of a ribbon inside here, and the curiosity is going to get the better of me eventually. But You're going to take them apart trying to in a way that you can put them back together. <laughs> All right, are we ready to talk about gloves? Let's yeah, I think see. we can talk I'm about at the gloves. comments here. I did check for any questions in the comments. All right. So Heaney, you tried a couple gloves. What was your favorite th- and what was your experience? I tried three gloves. I think it's hard to say what's the favorite because you have to recognize Two of the gloves I tried were $5,000 and the other was $300. So I don't think it's it's fair to really say which the favorite is between the, the very different price gulf. But should we start with the force feedback gloves? Sure. Yeah, we'll start with these. So these are both $5,000 force feedback gloves. On the left here, we have Sense Glove Nova. And on the right, we have Contact CI Maestro. So VR gloves that you may have seen or heard of in general 
just entail having a little vibration motor on each finger. So it's just like the same haptics you would get in a PlayStation controller or in a Xbox controller, but on each finger. These gloves, however, force feedback gloves are different. They will actually restrict the movement of your fingers based on the virtual object you're holding. And that's why you get to the $5,000 price. Now, $5,000 is a lot of money, and it sounds like a lot of money, but the competition that these gloves are taking on is actually Haptex and other high-end gloves, which cost in excess of $20,000. So from the perspective of enterprise, automotive, military simulation, these are actually low-cost gloves. And again, obviously calling something $5,000 low-cost sounds a bit ridiculous, but it is the case when it comes to their competition. So I like Onakazi's comment. He asked, is it $5,000 for one or a pair? You know what? Never mind. It doesn't matter. It's $5,000 for a pair. And again, obviously to, to consumers, that's a lot of money. To any normal person, that's a lot of money. But if you're a company like Volkswagen, which is one of the companies that uses this for training and different kind of parts repair, that's actually not a huge amount of money when it comes to training engineers or workers that are going to be delivering a lot more value than $5,000. So let's just, if you can bring up the image that compares the two, I I, I can talk about what the difference is between these two gloves. So the, the demo I tried of, I wonder if I actually can bring up the video. I don't think I can. The demo I tried of Sense Glove here was I was repairing a robot. So I grabbed the different parts of a virtual robot and took them off a conveyor belt by pulling a lever and then attached them to the robot itself. And it was, it's surprising just how real it felt to have your fingers restrict just as you grab the object. The latency is incredibly low. It wasn't perceptible to me. And in the, the demo of Contact CI Maestro on the right, I was in a flight simulation. Now, the big difference in these two gloves is that the Sense Glove is provides by 10 times the force to each finger, 20 newtons, whereas the contact CI only provides a few newtons of force. So to, to make a long story short, the glove on the left felt more like I was grabbing real objects, but it felt a little bit more artificial in the way it was restricting my fingers, and it felt a little bit more cumbersome, whereas the glove on the right, contact CI Maestro, didn't feel like I was grabbing things, but when I was in the cockpit flicking little switches and pushing little buttons, that felt completely real and my hands felt more free to use other kind of virtual objects and to use, for example, a real, if it was a flight simulator. So the glove on the left is great for making you feel like you're picking up objects and the glove on the right is great for making you feel like you're in a cockpit flicking switches. And I think they both have their place on the market and they both have described a very interesting roadmap to, of the future technologies they'd like to integrate. Haptex should really keep the, an eye on these two companies because they're going to provide some fierce competition in the haptic glove market. Did you talk to them about Haptics's approach and, of course, Meta's approach, at least based on their research that we've seen, in comparison to what they're doing? Yeah, I did. And the, the challenge for these companies is how do they slowly make their way to that level of capability while still staying at the $5,000 low price. Again, it sounds ridiculous to say low price, but these companies are going to be iteratively building up, whereas Haptex and Meta are going to be trying to build down. 
And the question is, which approach will work? Will starting with the perfect glove and trying to make it cheaper work? Or will starting with the cheapest glove and trying to make it better work? Only time will tell. It's great because the last time I was at CES, uh, right before the pandemic, I last I saw was uh, haptics. And I got to try like a, a robot where I put my hands in the haptics gloves and then I tell uh, telegraphed my movements to a robot and was able to reach forward and grab a cup. And when you put your fingers near the edges of the cup, the robot sends those signals over to your fingertips and you feel the ridges of the cup and you could grab a cup and move it over. And I was able to stack blocks with a robot across the room using these haptics gloves. And it was the most impressive tech I saw at CS that year. But it was so far still from anything consumer feasible. And then, of course, what we see at the other end of the spectrum is some of the research coming straight out of Meta is that they can put a wristband on your wrist. And then I think they're more or less implying that by vibrating your wrist at just the right time when your finger touches a virtual button, you can imply a button press on your fingertip based on the button press on your wrist. Is that correct, Tini? Yeah, the, yeah. so sensory substitution. But I think that what that does is add a little bit of haptics to free hand tracking like we're using now, whereas what these gloves are using is, is a more cumbersome technology that's going to give a more, a much more higher fidelity experience. Given even that vibration on your wrist, it will never feel like you're grabbing an object. It may feel like you're touching something and it may simulate the kind of texture of objects in a sense. But I, I think this is actually a good time to maybe transition onto the B-Haptics gloves, the, the third set of gloves I tried, because that's more equivalent to what they're trying to do. So B-Haptics, it should be the most one of the most recent images uploaded. It should yeah, be on page it. one. So B-Haptics Tacticlove is an upcoming consumer product that re the regular Quest 2 users can buy. And it will be $299. So this is the B-Haptics Tact Glove. And unlike the gloves I've just talked about, this does not restrict your fingers, but it also costs less than a tenth of those gloves. All this is that each finger gets its own vibration motor. But what's interesting about this is that they've worked with the hand tracking games that already exist on Quest, and they continue to work with those hand tracking games. So here you can see I'm trying Unplugged, the most popular hand tracking game I would say at the moment, but they also had a demo I tried for Hand Physics Lab where you can interact with any object and even the different textures of objects are very well simulated. And I do have to say this actually did surprise me because I really was expecting this to just feel a little bit gimmicky and feel like, oh, it's just hand tracking but with a buzz. But it really does add that missing dimension of feeling and haptics that you have with hand tracking, which is the number one complaint. Because even when we get very high quality hand tracking, which we'll talk about in a moment when we talk about Ultraleap, there is a matter of it's you're always just using your hands in floating air. There's not anything actually in front of you. And sure, this doesn't provide any force feedback, but it does provide a, a, the missing feeling that really adds to hand tracking games. And so I don't think it, it was also surprisingly easy to put on compared to the other gloves. The 
quite an intricate process in how you how exactly you strap your fingers in so you push it all the way up with these it was just like putting on a regular pair of gloves you just kind of shove your hand in it and pull it tight and that's it so to make a long story short about these gloves i think this would be a great product at 150 dollars but i think the problem is that it's 300 dollars, and that's where the value proposition here does fall apart but I did speak to the B-Haptics crew and they did say that price point is very much so related to the current global supply chain issues and that over time, if the predictions by some such as AMD CEO that the supply chain issues will be solved by the end of this year come true, then they could envision getting this product down to a lower cost. Now, obviously, they weren't they didn't share specifics on that, but I get the impression that there is a very viable path to a year from now, this product being $200 instead of $300. And I think that's where this starts to get a lot more interesting. But the other factor that kind of comes in is the content library. If the content library, it's, Andrew can answer your question, it's, again, it's 300 for a pair. When I, when I talk about the price for gloves, I'm talking about for a pair. Very few companies would sell you just one. So I think the value proposition of these will come from the reduction of cost over time, but also in the increase in the Quest hand-tracking games library. And as long as B-Haptics can keep up with their SDK supporting developers through new games such as 4VR Darts, which just launched last month, and it's the first, as far as I'm aware, multiplayer hand-tracking game on Quest, as long as that hand-tracking library builds up, and as long as they can bring down the pr- cost of this product, I think it actually will become one of the most compelling and interesting Quest to accessories. So one of the comments that's sort of rumbling around in my head that I'm remembering is Michael Abrash, the head researcher over at Meta years ago, suggesting that haptic hands, when you actually properly feel them, when you, I think he almost, I don't even know if this term is being used, but hand presence, when you really feel ownership of the virtual hands and then you press against something and you feel real resistance, it's going to be as eye-opening as whatever your first eye-opening VR demo was. It'll be just a completely uh, different experience, and it's going to be a magnifier for the power of VR overall. But I think what what I'm seeing in our comments here is just this general, when do I buy in, and what will it be useful for? Like One of the things that I think of, you talked about flipping switches and stuff like that. A lot of devs have a miserable time just figuring out how to do simple user interfaces. Like I say simple, but like adapting all of these traditional paradigms of buttons to push and stuff in VR when maybe dials work better or or all or cranks work better, but you're adapting all these traditional things and it doesn't necessarily feel good to press flat buttons around you all the time. Are any of these things dev tools? Is there any reason a dev would want to go out and plan for haptic hands a few years out or 10 years? Well, I think the problem is it's very hard for developers to plan for this given it's an accessory and an expensive accessory. But one of the when I tried the hand physics lab demo, I was actually surprised by how much it added to just have a little bit of vibration when you flick those virtual switches. And I have to say, while I would say X-Tile was the most impressive thing I tried at CES, this probably was the thing that exceeded my expectations the most compared to what I thought it would be. I really thought that this would be a gimmick, and I can understand why if you haven't tried this, it seems like a gimmick, 
but it really did add a lot to hand tracking just because you do have with hand tracking, you have this amazing experience of having the full freedom of your hands and the ability to move naturally. And you're not using an analog of a controller to represent your hands, but you do just lose this ability of feeling. And I, I really hope that in a few years they can get this thing down to half the cost because if they can, I think this is going to become an essential. What is the connection between the gloves and the headset here? It, it's Bluetooth and there was no latency that I could perceive. I don't think a lot of the latency in Bluetooth that people talk about comes not from the Bluetooth itself, but from the audio codecs. So if you're using Bluetooth for audio, the audio codecs that go along on Bluetooth use a lot of compression on each end, which adds a lot of latency. But fundamentally, Bluetooth itself doesn't have some sort of fundamental high latency that is impossible to overcome. It's when you're sending very low bandwidth data like this, which is just you know, which finger should vibrate and to what intensity, you're not going to be stuck with kind of very high latency compression algorithms on each end. Anything else to get into with haptics here? I guess that just, I would point out that both of the true force feedback companies I spoke to have spoken about want about their ability and desire to bring down the cost over time. So we're in the very, very early days of haptic gloves still. It'll be interesting to see whether it'll be interesting to see which approach works because we've got three kind of approaches here the just add vibration and keep it low cost the force feedback but you're in a couple of thousand dollars and then all the way up to haptex which is how can we make it the most realistic possible cost be damned haptic smell yeah we i actually did try one of the haptic smell technologies at ces the only problem is, obviously, we were all wearing masks at the time, and I don't really have the best sense of smell in the first place. I never have. It's always, I was blessed with good vision, but not with good smell. It was difficult for me to really assess that, but the smell of coffee was pretty distinct. They were able to do coffee very well. It's the, the cilia from Haptic Technologies, I believe the company's called. So that was actually quite a surprising one. But I, I, I did hear from other people who have a, a great sense of smell that they were very impressed by that. And I remember walking around and hearing even non-VR people talk about, oh, have you tried that metaverse smell technology and how they could smell their coffee, which had a pretty good reputation. <laughs> I, went, I went out and came back and we're talking about sniffing. What was it that Meta said? I remember Abrash saying that was the least important sense or something like that. Of the ones that they're Isn't trying to. Oh, yeah, it was taste. Yeah. Okay. Smell yeah. is actually very important because smell is very heavily used in how the human brain encodes memories, which is why if people have amnesia and stuff. A lot of their treatment goes to smelling the kind of smells that they would have uh, encountered back in old memories to rejig them. It's, there is definitely an interesting link between smell and memory, which I guess is one of the potential applications of this VR smell technology, because even if it's not useful in consumer space, imagine someone who does have a memory problem is able to revisit these old places that they aren't able to physically visit, and maybe that helps rejig some of their memories. That actually makes me think a little bit about haptic gloves and the tracking technology needed, where we've tried, I've actually had a deaf person into our studio here to test out hand tracking to see what the limitations are for American Sign Language with current generation 
tracking. And it's with Quest 2, it's just miserable. Like you can get across a lot of hand signs, but you can't really gesture to your body and out. And it, you miss so much expression from that. And I, I think that's an interesting thing to think about with the path forward technically. Like I wouldn't expect them to try to get American Sign Language and Sign Language supported with wider field of view hand tracking and then also maybe they could improve it with the wristband stuff but there's what is the consumer pathway ahead for hand tracking like i would imagine subtle touches on your fingertips first and perfect hand tracking would be the first things to get right before we even get to this well i guess that brings us on to our next kind of topic which would be ultraleap so before you change the image i'm going to go out you're going to change the image and i will come back in once you change the image because i think that's what's causing this i'll be right back Heeny bug fixing live on our studio. I love it. You love to see it. He's like rooting it out. He can see code. He can. He's like actually in matrix mode, and it's floating around in front of him. That brings us nicely onto our next topic, which is Ultraleap. So at CES, I tried Ultraleap Gemini, which is the state of the art in controller free hand tracking. So, yes. Me- Morningstar, you're correct. That is the Lynx R1 on the right. And what's interesting about the Lynx is that the Lynx actually integrates Ultraleap Gemini hand tracking into the device. So if you're not familiar with the Lynx, it's a upcoming VR AR hybrid headset that can do both. It's a standalone, very similar to Quest 2, except it has the battery in the back for a, a better weight distribution. And it's designed that you can use it without the the peripheral facial interface so that you can see the real world in your periphery rather than seeing the virtual world though it also will come with an attachment and it's a it was launched on kickstarter for 500 dollars roughly and it should ship sometime this year but like all kickstarter projects you can't really put an exact time on when it might ship on the focus 3 you can see that the ultra leap gemini hardware is attached on the front and so In both cases, these headsets are running the Qualcomm Snapdragon XR2 chip, the same chip that's found in the Oculus Quest 2. And Ultraleap have actually worked with Qualcomm to integrate and optimize their algorithm for the XR2. So any company that wants to build an XR2 VR or AR headset and put in great hand tracking can add these stereo 170 degree field of view IR cameras to the front of the headset and they get this high quality hand tracking through Ultraleap. If you've been around in the VR market for it's the VR market, if you've been around in the VR space for a very long time, you may remember Leap Motion, which was an attachment to your DK2. Ultraleap is actually the result of a, a merger of Leap Motion and a company called Ultra Haptics acquired Leap Motion and merged it into Ultraleap. So this is actually their fifth generation hand tracking technology. And it is, to cut a long story short, essentially perfect. I tried, I was using this in less than ideal CES kind of hotel room lighting conditions. No matter what way I move my hands, whereas on Quest right now, you can see I can quite easily break it by just putting one hand behind the other or interlocking my fingers a little bit. It starts to break or... Most importantly, if I put my hands even slightly outside of my field of view, it very quickly breaks on Quest. The impressive part of this was not only did it feel like there was no latency, not only did it match my hands even when I was interlocking my fingers together up until 
I would almost have to have the fingers entirely locked in at a very weird angle that doesn't that looks like I'm almost giving myself a handshake to be able to break the tracking. But the impressive part was that even if I brought my hands outside of my field of view, it would continue to track because the cool thing about this is that the tracking field of view is actually wider than the headset's field of view. And if you're on something like Xtile with the very wide field of view, you'd be able to see the hand tracking break. But on these headsets and on Quest 2 and on any headset that you're likely to have at home, this field of view is wider than your visual field of view. So you bring it back into view and your hands have still been tracked. And if you were holding a virtual object, that virtual object will still be in your hands. And I and the other impressive part of this was the reacquisition time. When I passed my hand underneath a table on purpose, by the time it had come out the other side of the table, it had almost instantaneously resumed tracking. So the kind of takeaway from this is that with the right algorithm and the right hardware, controller-free hand tracking can be a lot higher quality than it is on Quest 2. And I think a lot of people's current frustrations and problems with hand tracking today is actually just the hardware limitations of Quest 2, not the potential of the technology itself. Yeah, I always laugh to myself that Ultra Haptics should now merge with Magic Leap and then it's Super Magic Ultra Leap. (laughs) They've got the AR platform of the future between all those different parts. Opsar asks a good question here. Does it work well with any skin types? I was only able to test with my own. I haven't heard impressions from other skin types, but that is a great question because that is one of the most important problems in computer vision right now is making sure that these technologies work across a wide variety. Ultraleap, like Leap Motion before it, actually has infrared emitters that project light onto your hands so that the infrared cameras can see. So it shouldn't really matter what skin color you have and what skin type you have. Although, again, I haven't been able to test that, so I can't verify that other way. I like this comment. Just I shot someone in population one by shooting behind my back. Not sure if hand was tracked or if forced to a point once hand went behind me. I like that kind of like ways of hacking the system type things. If you bow out of tracking, how does the system break? And does it is it in your favor or is it against you is one of those things that always happens. A lot of people talking about unplugged VR. We got a lot of fans internally here for unplugged VR. And do you think we're going to see a dramatically better experience in something like unplugged this year? And is it only going to be Cambria providing that? Or will we get like really better hand tracking this year? So I I think when it comes to Quest 2, they're likely at the limits of what the, the camera hardware can do. Quest 2 uses these four very wide field of view infrared fisheye cameras while they're grayscale and they can see into the infrared spectrum, but they're pointed to the corners. And because they're so wide field of view, they actually have a very low angular resolution. And you can see that when you're in pass-through. It's, these are not high resolution cameras. With Project Cambrio, however pronounced, what we're likely to see because of the color cameras and because of the different sensor configuration is a much higher quality hand tracking, even if they're using the same chip. So I do think if what Zuckerberg said about the Quest library being fully compatible with Cambria is true, then yes, Cambria is where gamers of games like Unplugged are likely to first see this. But the the other question obviously is, will we see titles like Unplugged come across to Lynx? Because Lynx doesn't ship with controllers by default, you can add on controllers 
which they they plan to talk about in more detail later. But interestingly, Link says that even their controllers are actually using the hand tracking as the base tracking and just providing some accelerometer correction for that. But yeah, so either either through Links or through Cambria, this is the year where we are going to see high quality hand tracking and really games like unplugged currently are pushing the quest to its absolute limit and some people think that's the limit of hand tracking but at the key takeaway here is that it isn't the, the hand tracking technology on quest 2 is very early and what we're likely to see with better hand tracking is games that can do higher fidelity interactions with less frustration and less kind of tracking breaking Alex in our comments here is saying that unplugged with the B haptics gloves was a night and day experience. So much better feeling the music in in their hands. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. It was very surprising just how much it added to have that feeling of touch as you used it. I, I was terrible at unplugged. I almost I always am. I'm a piano player, <laughs> not a guitar player, but even trying that demo. I was well, you play piano, so you and Harry can keep testing the piano the piano apps over the next couple of years yeah i would that's the one i would be trying I, i'm waiting for what, what's the equivalent unkeyed whatever whatever you would call it <laughs> unkeyed yeah just a piano anywhere you are that's going to be wild if they really get the haptic feelings you can actually feel like i don't even know how that would work since you've got to depress the button i yeah that's going to be wild i'm very excited to try hand tracking that's as high quality as ultra leap with haptics that's as convenient and adding as B haptics. If they can if we you can see this year either Lynx or Cambria with those B haptic gloves, I think that's going to be a very interesting experience that for a lot of people goes beyond what controllers can provide. Although obviously it will never replace controllers because they're there for, for a completely different type of game. Yeah, I think did did you talk about the other part of the Ultra Leap like company, like what they've got two technologies they the first part was the leap motion technology but then they've also got this it's wireless and it's open air sonic way of stimulating your fingertips and it's interesting to think of they have these little emitters that emit right above them in a sort of like a sweet zone and it's interesting to think of like a really long strip of that emitter being used as the way of doing like a piano and as you're pressing down you would get all of these completely wireless open air haptic sensations pushing back at your fingers I, I, I really wonder if they could do a piano over time with that yeah I actually did are we ready to, to move on well. to body haptics Heaney I was going to say I actually did get to try exactly what you're describing as well it was just from these pictures you're taking it was just a couple of meters away the, the impression I get there is that while it was impressive the, the cost is not really practical for a consumer market and that's more for things like kiosks and automotive and other applications outside vr or ar simply because of the cost of those actuators it, I, I think you, something like b haptics is going to make a lot more sense there in in the vr ar space than the ultra haptics part though in the markets that it's aiming for that i can see a definite use case there all right what's next Tini? That is a good question. We can talk about, I guess, the if we're talking still about hand tracking, we can talk about the HTC Vive hand tracking, the Vive Focus. Yeah, how was that? Accessory. At first, I was like, this is terrible, but then they realized they hadn't actually turned it on, so I was just sitting there with 
these wrist straps that weren't turned on. So yeah, any anyone that's not familiar with it, what we're talking about here is that for HTC's Vive Focus 3, their $1,300 standalone headset that's designed for enterprise and education and sectors like that, they have this new wristband, which goes around your wrist, obviously, and it has infrared LEDs in it. So it's essentially like taking the tracking ring from your Quest 2 controller and putting it around your wrist as a dedicated device. And unfortunately, I, I wasn't able to get any pictures of me using this. I, I thought I, I told them to, but I don't think I got those photos somehow. But the, the I guess the problem with this is it's $130 per tracker. So it's $260 for two hands. But what it did do is dramatically improve the hand tracking in situations where it's less than ideal. So if you were if HTC wants to deploy this in somewhere where the lighting isn't great, instead of having to rely on that optical hand tracking and say, oh, you need to get your lighting here better and you need to go into this room where there's not as much going on in the background, the system uses this ring as a reference point. So it knows where your wrist is and therefore your hand can only rotate relative to your wrist. You can't somehow move your hand positionally away from your wrist. It can only rotate relative to where your wrist is and from that means that the result is simply that it's another way to achieve high quality hand tracking instead of using higher quality sensors and algorithms like ultraleap you get this dedicated piece of hardware but what's interesting about this is that it doesn't only go on your wrist it's actually essentially the standalone inside out version of the vive tracker and i tried a demo where this was attached to a fire hydrant like a real fire hydrant not a a fire extinguisher, a real fire extinguisher, where one was on the nozzle and one was on the the device itself. And so what this means is that just like we saw with the original Vive Tracker, HCC can basically allow developers and companies that are doing very specific kinds of training to use the real world device instead of using a virtual reality controller. So another example that was being used was the company that makes tasers. I think Axon, isn't it, was using it. And all they did was just attach one of these things to their taser. So the, the training applications here are really infinite because, yes, in five or 10 years, you'll be able to just scan these objects directly into VR in real time. But for now, you do still need some sort of reference point. So again, this is not something that is interesting to the consumer market. HTC has expressed no interest in bringing the Focus 3 to the consumer market. But when it comes to training, this is the open inside-out tracker that we've been waiting for. And I think if we could get something like this on Quest, you could see accessories open up that do a lot more than what we have today, including guns, etc. Yeah, I think one of the things that HTC mentioned when they announced this product was that like a held object could also be tracked pretty yeah. accurately this way as well without having to do all that extra work yeah exactly that's the demos that i was trying you had a taser on one and the fire extinguishers on another and the potential there is really endless but again it's going to disappoint to be people clear that are... with the taser is the, the the strap is on your wrist or on the taser on the taser interesting because you're tracking the taser itself is a solid object so all they're looking for there is to track the movement of the yeah, taser. It just means the location you can turn any real-world object that people are trying to train to use into a tracked object by using this, as long as it is a rigid object. And even if it's not a rigid object, as long as it has different parts, the fire extinguisher example, you just put 
one one tracker on the nozzle and one on the base, and then it becomes a tracked object. Yeah, Andrew's joking. That was not a real taser. You weren't like, yeah. yeah. That's the exact question I asked Shen, and he seemed to say it was a real taser. So hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, it wasn't aimed at me at any time. <laughs> I've swung bats at previous uh, previous HCC events, and it's like, that's pretty alarming when you've got like, like a bat in VR and you're swinging that blindfolded right like you need a plastic bat but you want the weight of a real bat if you're going to train and yeah i've had we've had demos over the years i've driven a cart a a go-kart a physical go-kart while wearing an oculus rift with inside it like there was a i think there was a sensor attached to the cart because it physically couldn't run the rift without the sensor attached to it and then they were using outside in tracking and it's the scariest thing to be driving around a real life go-kart thinking Someone could run out onto this course. I can't see them. I would never be able to see them if they ran out there. Yeah, these are definitely right, applications where you want to have great pass-through. <laughs> I'm, I'm drawing a blank. What is next? I'm, I'm I want to get your body haptics, the suits, but I don't want to see the photos in the... Yeah, I only tried, again, I only tried one of the suits, so I wasn't able to try the other one, unfortunately. I just ran out of time, so I can't really give a comparison there. I, I would have... Next time at CES, that's what I'll definitely be interested to look at. But unfortunately, just out of time before I could try the lower cost suit. I did try the Tesla suit, though, which is the $12,000 one. Uh, again, though, there was a 400 or so dollar equivalent that I would love to have compared it to. What I can say, mm. based on my experience with the Tesla suit, though, is that if you haven't heard of what that is, it's a suit you put on directly against your skin. It... Uh, you can't wear a t-shirt and what it does is apply direct electrical stimulation to your muscles which can make you feel not only make you feel pain and make you feel sensations but it can actually make your muscles move in a way that you're not choosing to which is pretty trippy uh, to say the least one of the experiences for example was recoil so you're holding a virtual gun and you shoot and today the response is that you get a vibration motor on each finger or on each hand. But with this, your hand and arm would actually physically jump as you shot the gun. This physical gun does not have any recoil. It is just a prop like you would have in a PlayStation VR aim controller. But because this suit is applying direct electrical stimulation against your muscles, you actually feel like you're recoiling Another example is it can make you feel physical pain. So you get virtually shot and you actually feel a large amount of pain in the position where you're supposed to be shot. And so to be clear, this is a $12,000 suit. The applications here are in training security personnel and in military. I don't even think they have a license to sell this to consumers. But there was a suit which used similar technology for around $400 being shown at CES. But that was the last thing on my list to try and unfortunately just ran out of time. So I don't, next time I, I would love to try that and in the future hopefully I get to try it. But for now I only tried the Tesla suit. I'm just going to check the comments for any questions. If anyone has any questions about anything I've talked about, feel free to... Yeah, Chris Richardson, the OO suit is the $400 one I'm talking about. The Tesla suit is also is basically the, the super high-end version of that. The $12,000 can actually make you feel physical, intense pain version. And yeah, you 
you think you, before you try it, you think so Andrew was it worth $12,000 if you're trying to train someone to resist I don't know tasers and gunshots and knife stabs and that's something you're trying to train sure for those very niche applications I'm sure this is actually very useful compared to other techniques for training that but it's not something that's going to appeal to the wider consumer market anytime soon I don't think people will want to feel genuine actual pain in a video game anytime soon yeah I always I bring this up and still today I we actually got cut off last time I was going to bring this up, but two of the most memorable experiences I can recall from VR, my first ever Void experience where I went out to Utah and visited the Ghostbusters experience. And like the one thing I can remember all these years later is they ro- the roasted marshmallow smell of the giant state puff marshmallow man burning up somewhere nearby. And like that scene is burned into my brain because of that smell effect to, to our earlier conversation. And then the other one is the Nicodemus experience, which was their incredible horror experience. And that's you're walking into an abandoned world's fair from the 1800s and it's been invaded by some kind of like demon from another, another dimension. And it's haunting you in this exhibition. And I, this experience of looking around, looking behind me and seeing the demon behind me, turning away from it and cowering and then feeling like a claw or something digging into my back. And it was just the simplest little haptic effect. It didn't actually hurt, but my brain convinced myself that a claw had actually digged into the back of my, actually dug into the back of my back. And it's, again, another void experience that what is that 30 or 40 dollars per trip per person you you're end up spending 140 160 dollars potentially for a family to go through and have this experience i mean you're not going to do that one you might do the ghostbusters with the family or the uh, they had the um one of the pixar movies i think they had one where you could do a family exhibition there but that's just so expensive and the economics aren't right to put any of this in homes for a long time. But still, do you think we'll have a, even a $200 shirt that could provide some haptic effects? We, we already do. There's the B haptics. We talked today about B haptics glove, but their, their bread and butter product that already is supported in games like Onward that people are already playing with today is their suit. And I think that kind of technology that doesn't hurt, but does provide just a little a vibration feeling it's just using those standard vibration motors rather than electrical stimulation i think that's going to be very appealing on the consumer market obviously there is the kind of inconvenience and friction of putting it on but when it comes to the enthusiasts that want to feel like they're really in a virtual environment and want to get these kind of accessories just like today we see with sim racing and flight sim accessories there's going to be a market for that but yeah, I, I don't think there's going to be a market for the real electrical stimulation, not least because you have to take your T-shirt off to even put it on in the first place. It has to go directly against your muscles, but also because that's not something most people want to experience playing a game. Because some people don't believe this, but it really hurt. It genuinely hurt. <laughs> it's scary. I don't... Like I, when I, there's been robotic hands, like the ones you talked about, the Newtons of force that they could apply to the back of your hands. There's been ones with really like exoskeletons pulling back in your fingers. And I've been terrified of 
what if one of those pistons goes wrong or something? It's like possible to actually pull back your finger so back so bad. Yeah, that's one of the things Contact CI actually talked about. I said that their glove uses only a few newtons of force rather than the kind of 20 newtons of sense glove. And one of the reasons they said for that is that they don't want to put you in an experience where your fingers are stuck or you can't really get your fingers back. So there is this question of when it comes to force feedback gloves, where is the limit of where immersion and safety kind of have to be balanced? And there are there's potential solutions like that. Maybe, for example, if you put your hands together backwards or something, it'll disable the system. But I don't know. I, I think sense gloves seem to have a good balance of providing enough force to feel like you're grabbing an object, whereas it's not too restrictive. One of the comments here I'm seeing is talking about the PSVR 2. I think that's what they're alluding to, but head haptics, where your head vibrates a little bit. And that's one of the features we're expecting out of PSVR 2 is some kind of haptic sensation. Do you think that's... Do you think people have a good understanding of how that's going to be used in comparison to their experience? Because I can imagine all the people that are very susceptible to simulator sickness like myself. If I spend 20 to 30 minutes in a smooth locomotion experience, I am, I'm going to need to lay down probably for a little while if I push. Do you think that head haptics could have any effect there? Like a, a positive effect? Or are people envisioning it actually having a negative effect there? So there is some research into applying a vibration to the area of your skin just below your ear against the inner ear to help with motion sickness. So I don't think that's what we're going to see with PSVR 2. I think it's just going to be one of those things that adds to the immersion. When you get a gunshot, when you're shot, your head is going to vibrate a little bit. And if you come out into some sort of environment and there's a virtual earthquake happening around you, it just adds a little bit more to the immersion. I don't think we're going to see anything game-changing there. I just think it's a good balance of adding body haptics while not requiring you to strap on a suit be haptics. I think you just described a really, that's a, that seems like a really clear way to, of, of explaining it. Like in traditional gaming situations where the camera would shake, maybe this is where the vibrations shake you to give you that yeah. effect and not make you sick. Uh, yeah, yeah even people even are asking, shot. I haven't forced VR legs. That's... you. Please don't recommend people force themselves through VR legs. There are developers out there who have been at this and spent probably three times the amount of time that I have in VR, and they can't. You cannot. There are some people who cannot overcome simulator sickness through any known means, and yeah. I like this suggestion from Paradise Decay of, of raindrops falling on your head for the PSVR 2 haptics. I'm skeptical that the fidelity will be quite there. I suspect what we'll see is a much more basic rumble on the head rather than a high fidelity kind of uh, dual sense like haptics. Though, I, if that is the case, that would be a great application. Though, I'm skeptical that we'll see that kind of fidelity on the head just because there's no real way to apply that without interfering with the tracking. Spider Man on PSVR 2, you'll feel your spidey sense. I like that idea too. That's a great way of of suggesting if you have if you get shot at from behind you could get that spidey sense vibration letting you know that something's coming lots of cool superhero powers that could be enabled by that as well d-man uh, windlands d-man says that windlands cured his lack of vr legs i don't know about that but windlands is one of the best vr games and if you haven't tried it you should really should it if, if you're looking for something that's spider-man like in terms of swinging webs about from place to place windlands is arguably the best game you could possibly try. 
Anything else uh, memorable in Vegas there for you? Oh, the Vuzix glasses. If you've watched this show in the past, you'll have heard me give my impressions of the Enreal AR glasses, which we described as the first AR glasses available in the United States. What I tried at CES was Vuzix's latest prototype. And the difference here is that there is no cable. It's a completely standalone experience. It uses Qualcomm's XR1 chip, which you also find in the Vive Flow. So I, have, I think we have a picture here somewhere of it, but not 100% sure. Essentially, it looked like a pair of normal glasses. The catch was that it was monochrome only. It was only the color green, but it had two cameras on the front, so it could do six off tracking, and it had an XR1 chip and a battery on board. So this was the first fully standalone AR glasses that I've tried. And as far as I know, it is the first fully standalone glasses, as in actual glasses form factor. I don't mean this didn't look like goggles. It didn't look like Magic Leap. It really was just a pair of glasses on my head that was entirely standalone with an optical system and six off tracking. So we seem to hear Vuzix talk about these kind of products for years, but it was very impressive, even in my 30-second demo, to try this. And it was maybe giving me a little bit more of a positive outlook on how soon we may see AR glasses. One of my favorite comments from Heaney, can you talk about your... Maybe if you've got anything else to get to, and if you've got any comments here, leave them in the uh, comments here so we can respond to your questions, because I think we've gone through most of Heaney's demos. But you talk about the, the impression you got from the the casino lighting oh yeah it was as if it was never daytime it's the the entire city was just so bright and the screens across the side of the the buildings were just so huge and so constantly on and any to even get into a hotel to your room you had to pass through these casinos with the brightest lights everywhere that yeah i, I don't think my brain ever really truly switched to nighttime mode which made it very difficult to sleep and also, I really wonder what the electricity bill for the entire city of Las Vegas is. It must be off the charts. <laughs> I love that because I was like laughing to myself. Okay, yeah, it's tough because you're walking around these things going from demo to demo. And like you can build up like a res- you can feel a little bit uncomfortable after three demos in a row. Maybe it was the first demo that actually made you a little bit queasy or, or feeling a little bit weird. But the second demo is where it like sinks in and gets to but like you're talking about going around and the lighting is messing with your head and i'm thinking about all that artificial lighting it's like an artificial city and yeah. you've got all this artificial lighting it's such a weird place to go and try out all the latest in vr tech i'll just wait for ian but i guess i can finish the sentence to say even there was a point where because of the swimmy tracking the sleep deprivation probably the 16 hour of flying there was a point where even when i was standing still I didn't feel like I was standing still. Like the real life floor was slightly moving, just like in your VR headset when you're tracking slightly off, which was definitely one of the most uncomfortable experiences because it's not like I could just take the headset off. I was in real life. It was real life that was having the swimmy tracking. So that was fun. That was very bizarre. But thank- thankfully it wore off. It would be deeply unfortunate if something like that were permanent. I would definitely screw someone up permanently, but... Thankfully, it did wear off after a few hours and actually standing still felt like standing still again, which is great. Always good to actually be able to 
stand still in real life. Andrew King asks, any chance upload VR will go to CES again? Yes, we would love to, as long as it's as long as CES is on and as long as we're able to attend, as long as there's not something that prevents us from attending. I would love to attend it again. It's really great after two years of lockdowns and pandemic to be able to really get hands on this hardware because we want to be able to talk about hardware that we've really tried and used rather than just analyzing stuff over press releases and information we're getting from others so even apart from the content that we've put out from ces and we'll be putting up more today and you can read our content of ces on uploadvr.com even just the ability to try all of these different hardware from ar to vr to headsets even being used in different contexts like ultraleap where i got to try links and i got to try vi focus 3 for a lot longer than i have before It, it was great to really build that knowledge base up and i think ces is something so valuable that we'll definitely be looking to go there again in future max master cool sorry if i'm saying your name wrong you say any news about the pimax headset they withdraw it from ces last minute unfortunately because of the issues with china going into lockdown just before ces they were unable to get their hardware through customs so they had planned to show off their booth and they had planned to show off their new 12k qled headset and it actually was one of the things i was most looking forward to but they were unable to get it through the u.s customs things like that happen that's not pimax's fault it's a very kind of difficult global situation right now in terms of getting things in and out of china just because of the omicron surge hopefully at some future event sooner rather than later we're able to try that i'm always willing to travel to see cutting edge hardware like that so once pimax are able to get those issues which are not their fault i will we have to admit that that is not their fault once they get that issue sorted we very look forward to giving you a hands-on impression of the So yeah, I think Ian's not able to rejoin. So I will just leave it there for now. We will be back next week at the same time on Monday. Ian's decided to move it to 10 a.m. Pacific time on Monday from now on. So that will be our regular time. Rather than 1 p.m. Pacific time, it will be 10 a.m. Kyle should be back next week as well. And we will be we had our Christmas break and then I was at CES, so we had a few weeks off, but we will be continuing to deliver this show every Monday. And hopefully we shall still have VR down, or VR Gamescast on Thursday to talk about all the latest games and content. Just before I leave, Birdie Blob anything, asks anything on AR. As I was saying before, I tried a Vuzix standalone AR glasses prototype. As far as I know, the first completely standalone six degree of freedom positionally tracked standalone glasses they looked and felt like a normal pair of glasses they did not feel like goggles the rims on the side were thicker than usual but other than that it really worked it was green only monochrome only displayed the color green the field of view was slightly less than what you'd expect in normal air glasses 
I don't know off the top of my head. They didn't reveal, but it's probably around 30 or 40 degrees. But yeah, the Vuzix prototype has shown that they have a path there towards standalone AR glasses, and that we'll be keeping a close eye on that. Andrew King, if you want to ask more questions, please come along next week. I will be more than happy to answer any questions. For now, I thank you everyone for tuning in. Apologies for the tech issues. We're working on a major update to the studio, which should solve that and add some extra improvements. Thank you all for listening. And to quote Kyle, we'll see you in the future.